0: Good morning. It's good to see you. Well, I can't see you, but it's good to imagine you're here. And if you're here with us online this morning, we welcome to you. are part of our church family as well. I am Ken Balch, <clears throat> the executive pastor here at First Light Church of the Nazarene, South Portland. I chose this week um, to plan to have my first head cold of the season, which turns out to have been bad planning. But if you'll bear with me, I think I could make it through. And if my voice gets worrisome to you, you could leave. I probably won't even be able to tell, so it's fine. <laughs> Today we're continuing um, on our Christmas series called The Ghosts of Christmas. What we've been doing in this series is looking at uh, the famous Charles Dickens story, A Christmas st- Carol, where a miserable miser, Ebenezer Scrooge, who only seemed to care about money, has four supernatural encounters with spirits, which are called ghosts, in his story leading up to Christmas. And through these ghostly encounters, Scrooge discovers the true meaning of Christmas and it saves his soul. We've also been unpacking the biblical Christmas story and looking at some parallels between these stories. In the biblical account, there are four different times where supernatural beings from God, called angels, appear to reveal the incredible good news of Christmas, that God, the God of the universe loves us, and that he has sent his son Jesus to save us. <clears throat> and so in week one, we looked at Scrooge's encounter with the ghost of his old business associate, Jacob Marley. At the time, it had been seven years since Marley had died. And Marley tells him that during the seven years, he had been trying to reach Scrooge, trying to let him know that his soul was in danger but it wasn't until this particular christmas eve that some higher power had allowed him to reach out and speak to scrooge <clears throat> we also looked at the story of zechariah and elizabeth elizabeth was a relative of mary but she was too old to have children an angel appears to her husband zechariah who's a priest and to tell him that elizabeth will become pregnant and bear a son who will uh, who will prepare god's people for the arrival of his messiah Uh, Elizabeth becomes pregnant and gives birth to a boy who would go on to become John the Baptist. And so after hundreds of of years of silence, God starts to speak and reveals that he's had a plan all along and that the miracle that we celebrate as Christmas is about to happen. Then last week, we looked at Scrooge's visit with the first ghost of Christmas. The ghost of Christmas past. And this ghost took Scrooge back in time to when he was a young man and showed him a Christmas where he had a very important choice before him. The choice to choose love with his fiancé, or t- to continue his pursuit of monetary wealth. And it was a very painful ex- uh, experience for Scrooge to witness and relive. And it became clear that the choice he made in his younger life had left him with deep, deep regrets. We then contrasted Scrooge's story with the story of a teenager, a girl named Mary, who also faced an important decision. But unlike Ebenezer Scrooge, and despite her youth, this young woman decided to walk a path of incredible courage and faith. And Mary becomes obedient to the plan of God and moves her small story of her life to the greater story that God is writing. Now today, on the third Sunday of Advent, the season during which the church focuses on the practice of waiting, just as Israel waited with eager anticipation for the Savior, we wait for Christmas, the celebration of Christ's birth. We wait with longing for his return again. We will be looking at Scrooge's encounter with the second ghost, the ghost of Christmas present, the day of that Scrooge is about to experience as well as the christian the christmas account uh, in the bible of when an angel appeared to mary's fiance joseph and pastor zahir is going to come and read for us the passage from matthew this morning
1: When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. Thank you. You Take that, thanks.
0: Thank you, Pastor Zahira. <clears throat> In his gospel, Matthew tells us that Joseph is a righteous man who wants to do the right thing. You know, we don't really know much about Joseph. We don't know how old he was. He may have been just as old, the same age as Mary, though in art he's often dep- uh, depicted as being a young adult, while Mary was very likely only 15 years old or so. We know that Joseph is a descendant of King David, though he himself is just a poor carpenter from the sticks. We know that his family is from the town of Bethlehem, but we don't know why they had moved so far away from their ancestral home. Joseph is called Mary's husband because a marital engagement in these times technically meant that the couple was married, although they were not yet living together or having sexual relations. Having learned that his fiancée is pregnant, and knowing the pregnancy didn't involve him, Joseph only had a few options. He might have turned her over to the religious authorities to be punished for adultery. According to the law, they could have stoned Mary. Or he could have broken the engagement, divorcing Mary and telling everyone that the baby was not his. Another thing we don't know is, how did Mary's parents react to this miraculous pregnancy? How would you? It's likely that no one would have believed her story, even if she had shared it. I imagine Mary was just silent, but we don't know that either. What we do know is that Joseph was unwilling to expose Mary to public disgrace. He was planning to protect her and to break their engagement privately, to dismiss her and not do her any harm. This was also an option available to Joseph. But what was not an option, according to the law of the day, was for Joseph to marry her. She had been sexually involved with someone else, meaning she had been unfaithful and technically had another husband. And the law forbid taking back a spouse who had married another. Being righteous, a righteous man with limited choices, we do know that Joseph was unwilling to uh, expose Mary to public disgrace. Public shaming is the very least that she would have faced. Now, shame is different than guilt. Guilt is when we've done something wrong or have hurt someone. Shame is cast on us when people say that there's something wrong with us as a person. It's not that we have did something wrong. We ourselves are the problem. We are flawed as a person. Shame is often used to punish and control those who don't follow the rules, who don't stay inside the boundaries that people draw for what they decide is acceptable behavior. Joseph intends to do whatever he can to shield Mary from any of this. Now normally, the formalization of an engagement into a marriage through a wedding is an occasion for great celebration. And Joseph and Mary had probably been looking forward to that. But now, I don't think so. The third ghost to visit Scrooge after Jacob Marley and the ghost of Christmas past is called the ghost of Christmas present. He showed up large and in charge, bigger than life, generous and overflowing with gladness, spreading joy wherever he went. And this confuses Scrooge. But the ghost reveals that the joy and thankful hearts that he sees are due to the spirit of Christmas, which he is. You know, but what is that exactly, the spirit of Christmas? Well, it's the good news that Christ has come. A savior has been born. There is joy and hope despite our circumstances. And this ghost takes Scrooge on a tour of his nephew Fred's house where his wife and friends are celebrating the day. Then he takes him to the home of the poor home of Bob Cratchit, Scrooge's abused clerk, where his family embrace the joy of simply being together this day. And here, Scrooge discovers that the youngest Cratchit, Tiny Tim, is a sickly child. And Scrooge is surprised by this, and he becomes concerned for Tiny Tim. He begins to feel pangs of compassion. After this, the ghost and Scrooge visit coal miners, prisoners, sailors at sea, lonely lighthouse keepers, all manner of people who are all joyfully singing because of the good news of Christmas. Christ has come. The light of Christ pierces every dark place where hearts are heavy and hope lifts every face. And all this joy starts to getting to Scrooge. He actually starts to enjoy the festivities and his cold heart seems to be developing from cracks. Now, I first encountered this story in high school. I was part of a community theater group that was performing a stage version of A Christmas Carol. And I was cast as Mr. Fezziwig, that's Scrooge's boss when he was a young man. Fezziwig is a fat, jolly, joyful, and generous employer who dances and sings and entertains. And he encourages Scrooge to stop working, enjoy the day. Sadly, there are no known pictures of me in a white wig and festive coat and stockings that I wore for the part. That's not me. But for me, Fezziwig was merely this over-the-top character who was obnoxiously fun to play. But the themes in Dickens' story winding around all of this were unfamiliar to me. I grew up unchurched and had never read the Bible. I didn't know any Christians. And A Christmas Carol was the first redemption story I remember reading. As this terrible Scrooge jerk changed... I learned that no one becomes miserable without a lot of good reasons. and That sort of made sense. The ghost of Christmas past revealed the painful childhood that Scrooge had endured, rejected by his father after the death of his mother, abandoned alone at school year after year while all his friends went home with their families who loved them. Eventually, Scrooge's sister convinces their father to let Scrooge come home, Now, family struggles and brokenness, uh, those were things I had seen and experienced, and they made sense to me. Now, at at Fezziwig's Christmas party, we see Scrooge's young man uh, uh, learning. uh, He's an apprentice to the money-lending trade, and he's engaged to a beautiful young woman named Belle. The next we see them is some years later, and we learn he's become consumed with acquiring wealth and that his miserly ways are the result of his need for security in wealth above all things. This visitation of the ghost and seeing his own painful life choices again begin to break through Scrooge's gold and hard heart. In the book by Dickens is a scene I've never seen in any of the film versions of the story. The ghost of Christmas present takes Scrooge to see Belle and to learn that she, um, the, 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 the Belle, who is his uh, a fiance he had abandoned, and he learned, sees her now surrounded by her children who love her, with her loving husband, content and happy. All of this, Scrooge begins to realize, could have been his. And he seems to begin to thaw, realizing that all of the happiness and love of other people that he is missing And he begins to uh, to experience the slightest glimmers of regret and remorse and maybe even some hope. Now, I was a blue-collar kid from a shipbuilding town. I wasn't used to thinking about such grand themes. But one of my friends at the time, one of my best friends at the time, was named Rick, and he played Scrooge in our version of the story. And Rick embodied the wiry, hard-angled and cold Scrooge that we see in the video clips. But Rick was an old soul, full of dry wit and wisdom for a young guy. And no matter how stressful things might get, Rick was always just as cool as could be. He just never got mad. He would just get quiet and start figuring, figuring out what to do. And we had lots of fun and shared many adventures together that I never told my children about because they didn't need any inspiration to cause mischief that they didn't think of on their own. Friendships develop strong bones when we work and play together. And friendships make us better when we take care of and watch out for those we share work and play with. Rick and I shared a lot in common along with doing theater together. We were both the oldest children in our families. We both had single moms who worked hard to take care of us. We were both responsible. We loved to walk and hike and talk and imagine better futures than the ones we are experiencing. I hung out with his mom and sister, and people assumed we were brothers. You know, Finding our people makes life better, doesn't it? Scrooge didn't have anyone he cared for, and only his nephew Fred, who cared for him, and Scrooge couldn't be bothered with Fred. Opening our hearts to others can make us feel vulnerable, And being vulnerable can be scary. Some people are so afraid of scary things that they don't ever put themselves in a position where anyone could hurt them. Now, the ghost of Jacob Marley had told Scrooge that he had won the opportunity for Scrooge to change the course of his life. Marley explained that every person's calling in life is to offer comfort and mercy to others and that the welfare of other people is our responsibility. The Ghost of Christmas Present then helps Scrooge see the effects of kindness on the people around him and the need for mercy experienced by so many people around us. And Scrooge begins to see other people, whereas before he had only been considering himself. Mercy is love offered to another. And love changes us when we offer it to another. Think about Joseph. He may have been brokenhearted. We can assume he was at least disappointed. Still, Joseph chooses the high road. He will not be responsible for exposing Mary's betrayal or subjecting her to shame. Joseph chose mercy. It says in Matthew, but just when he resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph. Son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Do not be afraid. We see this phrase a lot in the Scriptures. What exactly is it that's frightening? when God breaks into an otherwise ordinary, ordinary day. Are angels really scary? Scripture just takes angels for granted. They simply are. They seem to be beings who normally live in the direct presence of God. They've come from God only to deliver a message when some unusual direction is needed. What's scary, I think, is that the actual, real, very presence of God Let's call it the holy. What we will experience one day in heaven. It requires a different form of um, being than we currently have. And the language used to describe the -the out-of-the-ordinary appearances of the holy in Scripture, whether it be angels, pillars of cloud, pillars of fire, burning bushes, clouds of glory, a hand writing on a wall, thrones with majestic beings seated on them, doors standing open in heaven, a heavenly uh, city descending from the sky, a voice speaking that sounds like thunder or many roaring waters. This language always reads like someone trying to describe with words what cannot be understood or explained. It can only be experienced. You know, an interesting thing about toddlers is they will get stimulus overload and fall asleep. You know, just all manner of chaos is going along and they just go to sleep. I think the holy is like that for us. It's more than we can comprehend. It overwhelms us. The Gospel of Luke describes two disciples who discussed um, how their hearts were warmed as they walked together listening to Jesus. They're describing this awareness of the nearness we might experience sometime in worship. A sense of a presence quite different from the ordinary is near. Now imagine that multiplied exponentially, increased beyond control, a tsunami or flood of pure, perfect love that is Christ. Ecstatic, splendorous beauty sweeping us off our feet like, the, like a wave does in the surf, knocking in the ocean knocking us down. And that's where angels live and what they probably reflect. And one could very well feel so, so overwhelmed by the holy that you fear you will die. The Israelites said as much in the desert to Moses, you listen to god don't let god talk to us anymore or we will die it's frightening because it's so entirely different but not in a bad way it's different in a way that makes us glad overjoyed affirmed captivated by pure beautiful love so much that it would be okay if i did die for this is what we are created for for love to be in the presence of God forever. And then you just know. These kind of encounters leave us changed in ways that can't be explained. Maybe it's what Paul talks about, the peace that surpasses all understanding, and it just gets in us. And we find ourselves okay with with what God's messenger is telling us to do. And we see this all through Scripture, even to break tradition and marry this pregnant girl or to take back an unfa- unfaithful spouse, as, uh, as God told, uh, to, to take Gomer back in the Old Testament or to go back to Egypt and confront the Pharaoh and tell him to let your people leave slavery or to listen to God's beloved son or to go to your despised enemies and share with them the good news about our Savior who has come to rescue us all from death. Or to forgive someone who didn't ask. Or to offer help to an unfriendly neighbor. Or to assume the best of someone who you normally would assume the worst about. To love your neighbor. To stop trying to make everything happen yourself. To listen to and trust God. Angelic meetings are rare. The holy crashing into an ordinary day is not normal. And we can't rely on these exceptional occurrences for daily direction. Instead, God sent us his son, Jesus Christ, so that we might learn from him how to live a life of love, to live a life shaped by trust in God. Theology tells us that part of the reason for Jesus' coming was to reveal to us what God is like, so that we could understand his love. What it looks like to love one another. Christ became as we are so that we might become as he is. Here is an important and uncomfortable truth when God speaks, he rarely leads us where we expect to go. Joseph, take Mary as your wife. Her child is from the Holy Spirit. This child will save his people from their sins. Joseph discovers that the right thing to do is not anything he previously knew was possible. And that this scandal is actually the salvation of the world. How is anyone supposed to get their head around this? Well, faith requires us to take steps that don't make sense in the moment. And it might even mean that the people who love us the most don't understand what we're doing. They might criticize and condemn and worry and say ugly things to us and cut us off. Walking in faith can feel like walking in the dark. The problem with walking in the darkness is we can't always tell what we're stepping in or on. We hope and trust that it's going to be okay. We know we must do this But we don't have any guarantee that everything will turn out awesome. Weddings and babies are things we often celebrate, but they can be scary and leave us wondering what we've gotten ourselves into. Not everyone would have supported Joseph's decision, and they would have assumed that they were justified to criticize and condemn this young couple. Joseph and Mary were breaking the rules, they were ignoring traditions. Their actions were wrong. When God is with us, it can still feel very lonely. The ghost of Christmas present has led Scrooge through countless scenes of bounty, homecoming, and joyful song in circumstances that did not cause the joy that he witnessed. The Spirit's presence produced the generous feelings and bountiful hope. Toward the end of Scrooge's journey with the spirit, he notices that the stout, boisterous ghost is rapidly aging, growing weak and tired, and the ghost explains to him, "I live only one day." Then Scrooge sees something unsettling. When I told my wife I, had to, I was going to be preaching a sermon, she said, "Please don't tell me you're going to use this scene." It is not warm and fuzzy. it's a little bit scary. But let's just watch this clip.
1: Spirit, forgive me, but I... I see something strange and not belonging to you. There, beneath your
2: robes, is it a, a foot or, or... a claw? It might be a claw for all the flesh that is on it. Look. Look. Spirit. Are they yours? No, they are man's. This boy is ignorance. This girl is want. Beware of both of them, but most of all, beware the boy. For on his forehead I see that written which is doom, unless the writing is erased. If you deny him, slander those who tell others about him. Admit he exists, but do nothing about it. Then doom will engulf you all. Are there no shelters, no charities to help them? Are there no prisons, are there no workhouses?
0: Dickens reveals the juxtaposition between generous, overflowing bounty and poverty, between enlightened understanding and ignorance. How do we live with one and tolerate the other? How do we enjoy the benefits of one and ignore the other and think it's not our responsibility? This is some of the tension of the cross. We celebrate God is with us and we ask where is God when suffering we pray faithfully give us this day our daily bread and then wonder why there are so many hungry homeless among us Christmas is coming when we gather our loved ones together and at the same time there are so many lonely and forgotten people we are warm and well-fed While homeless encampments are cleared out by the authorities just a couple miles from us. The ghost tells Scrooge that poverty is terrible and destructive, but ignorance is worse. I will say that willful ignorance, pretending that we don't know about or aren't responsible to do something about the plight and pain of others, is the opposite of love. Hate is not the opposite of love. Indifference is is the opposite of love. It is human nature to, un- run- to avoid unnecessary suffering. We run a- away from discomfort and pain. We learn not to touch a hot stove, not to stick our hands where they don't belong, to look both ways before we cross the street, and not to poke bears. We try not to be dumb and hurt ourselves if we can avoid it. However, if someone we love is struggling, hungry, naked, unjustly persecuted, then love compels us to rush toward their suffering to help them. If we pretend we don't know, can't see, weren't told, aren't responsible for someone we claim to love, then maybe we don't really love them. Who is my neighbor? The rich young ruler asked Jesus, who answered him through a parable. Your neighbor is anyone requiring mercy. Jesus said that there will always be poor people. So there will always be people we can help. And that is what love does. God speaking to us is not meant to tell us, hey, good job. Go build bigger barns. Acquire all that you can. Jesus said to another young man, sell all you own and give to the poor then come, follow me. And that is not convenient. Love usually isn't convenient. When God speaks, he rarely leads us where we expect to go. God is more likely to shake us up and stretch us in good ways. Because, as the scripture says, we are his workmanship, created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. As Joseph suddenly found himself the husband and protector of Mary and her child, as Scrooge begins to grasp that his life's a wreck and the well-being of others is his responsibility, so are we meant to engage with those around us and to help one another, even and especially when it isn't easy. Advent is a season of waiting, waiting for someone to show up, whether it's the Messiah, Guests, our grandchildren, carolers, the, the UPS guy? Is there someplace that God is waiting for us to show up? Is there someone who's waiting for you to show up? My friend Rick, his mom passed away from a rare genetic, just awful brain-wasting disease. Rick took care of her for years. After she passed, he became fearful that the same genetic disease would affect him. He became so possessed by fear of the suffering he'd seen his mother experience, fear of this awful disease, that Rick died by suicide. The autopsy showed no sign of the disease, but Rick was still dead. Fear can kill us. It can divide us. We know it does. Separate us from others. It oppresses and crushes. And the scripture says, in response to fear, that perfect love drives out fear. Stories don't always have happy endings. Joseph and Mary became political refugees in Egypt shortly after the birth of Jesus. The gifts the wise men brought them probably funded their escape, which makes a lot of sense considering the expensive and non-baby-friendly gifts they brought. God doesn't waste a single thing. We leave Scrooge in the middle of his story with disconcerting visions of children suffering, feeling helpless and disoriented. And sometimes we don't know what the right thing to do is. And here on the third Sunday of Advent, we lit the candle for joy. Joy exists right next to pain. And we still cling to our hope knowing that the angel told Joseph that the child would be called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. God is with us. What are we afraid of? If God is for us, who can stand against us? What are we frightened to do that God cannot help us with? Today, God invites us to lay down our fear and to dare to trust that the Lord is good and will never abandon or forsake us. We often try to bury our fear and the pain we face through self-medication, with all manners of behavior to distract us from dealing with what we don't want to face. Substance abuse, eating, social media, movies, workaholism, entertainment, travel, over-functioning in the lives of our friends and family, never resting, always pursuing. And the holy leaves no room for any of that. All we can do is fall on our faces and say, Your will be done. Would you pray with me? Father, so often we fill our hands with the things we control and our hearts and minds with busy things so that we don't have to think about the things we're afraid of because we are afraid. We fear for ourselves and for the ones we love. But you stand amongst us. And you said that your Holy Spirit would pour out your love through our hearts like springs of living water brings it for the people around us. So may we be pure vessels for your desire to ascend from the silence of our lives into the lives of the people around us. May your grace be sufficient to allow us to let go of the things we fear and to fill our hands with you and our hearts with you. On this third Sunday of Advent, may your joy be ours people all said. Amen.
1: Will you all
2: please stand with us?
3: to give toward our 1 in 100 fund that goes to help um, uh, crisis situations in our church community. There's a couple of ways that you can give. You can give a one-time gift. Just mark it on an envelope and put it in our um, tithe and offering box that's at the back of the sanctuary. If you would like to be a regular 1 in 100 giver, um, you can either just give regularly into our offering like that, or you can go online um, on our website, and there's a tab to mark if you're doing online giving uh, for it to go to 101 100. We appreciate having um, you as our partners to help um, with those needs that come up throughout the year. Our second announcement is that next Sunday on Christmas Eve in our service in the evening at 6 p.m. Afterwards, we're uh, we're bringing back an old tradition of our cookie exchange. So we're excited to uh, share a time of fellowship afterwards, after the service. And so if you'd like to stay and participate, uh, we ask that you bring a tray of cookies to share and then to join us to eat the cookies and then take a few cookies home um, at the end. And so if you'd like to join us, we'd love to have you stay for a time of fellowship next week. Let us pray. People of God, we wait with hope. We wait with courage. We wait with joy unspeakable, full of glory. We wait with the assurance that the liberator will come in peace, in justice, and in power. Amen.